Hi everyone, Sam here. Thank you so much for listening to The Policy Dispatch. Before we dive in, if you want to enjoy premium access to the podcast and want to read or listen to the unmissable and informative journalism from Foresight Climate and Energy, make sure to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for less than one euro a day, which will give you access to our website and app. Just follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Policy Dispatch by Foresight. I'm your host Sam Morgan, thanks for joining me. Today we're going to be talking all about India and one issue in particular, air pollution. India is the world's fifth biggest economy and has a growing population set to become the largest on planet Earth as early as this year. Energy demand has obviously increased dramatically in step with those developments and will continue to do so presenting India with a complex and substantial climate challenge. Air pollution is intrinsically linked to the energy transition, as power generation, heating, transport, agriculture and other industries contribute to what can be a lethal problem. India has struggled with air quality levels, particularly in its capital city, New Delhi, so it's a really interesting case to look at when considering how climate issues are linked to human health and well-being. Today, I'm joined by Pallavi Pant from the Health FX Institute, a US-based research group where she heads the Institute's Global Health Program. Pallavi has more than a decade of experience in this field and is the perfect person to speak to about how India has tackled the issue, what the crossroads between air quality and climate action looks like, and how data collection is one of the most important weapons in this particular fight. Before we kick on with today's discussion, Here's your obligatory policy dispatch quiz question. In 2001, 475 million Indians did not have access to basic electricity supply, according to the World Bank. After a slew of policies aimed at bringing that number down, how many people still do not have access as of 2019? Is it A, 393 million, B, 235 million, C, 98 million, or D, 29 million. Answer at the end of the show. Enjoy the chat. So hi, Paul Avi. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. Uh, it's really great to have the chance to talk to an expert such as yourself um, about the important topic of today's show. Um, so if we could like get straight into the discussion, I guess, if we consider India and the air pollution issue there, New Delhi often ranks at the top of the most polluted cities in the world when those indexes are released. What is the actually the main cause of this poor air quality? How serious is its impact on human health? Maybe you could just give us an idea of what the situation actually is like there. Yeah, thank you so much, Sam, for um, having me here and for you know spending the time on this topic of air pollution and on Delhi. Um, I, I think you know. It is true that the air pollution problem is pretty big in in Delhi. And to be honest, not just in Delhi, but across um, large sections of the country. And, uh, you know, often we we hear these uh, things about, you know, data can tell us the the stories. And um, for better uh, reasons or worse, we tend to have the most data on air quality in Delhi, which is why we know exactly what the levels are at any given time. Um, So it is, um, you know, it it is a big concern. And it has been for a while. Um, So we've seen 
over many decades that uh, air pollution, you know, con continues to be a problem that we're dealing with. Um, and there's a variety of sources. Delhi is the capital of India. Um, so, you know, there's a lot going on in the city itself. Uh, we have uh, also to consider that, you know, as the city has grown and expanded, the sources have changed and, you know, morphed and merged uh, over time. But if we are to think of the key sources that can impact air pollution uh, within Delhi and bring those levels to, um, you know, really concerning levels, then um, there's some sources that are very local. So there's things like uh, the traffic, the you know vehicles on the road, um, which contribute to particulate matter, nitrogen dioxide, all these you know different air pollutants. There's also other local sources like uh, waste burning, mm -hmm. um, the waste management. Um, in the city is not as uh, clean and organized. So often we see cases of waste getting burned just to try and deal with it and manage it, which can contribute to air pollution. Um, there's also some uh, industrial sources, you know, relatively small, but they are within the city periphery. And then because of how the geography is, Delhi is also impacted by other sources that may not be within the boundaries of the city, but can impact air pollution at a regional scale. So, um, you know, there's brick, brick kilns that operate during the winter season in particular, dotted around the city uh, on the outskirts. As you know, if you're trying to go in any direction um, to like out, out of the city, you'll notice those. Uh, they tend to be a very seasonal source because you cannot really operate brickens, you know, in summer in Delhi, it gets too hot. Um, another seasonal source, which tends to get a lot of attention in media and is also getting policy attention now is the burning of agricultural uh, crop residue in northern parts uh, of the country. And, you know, air pollution doesn't really respect political, geographic or any other kind of boundaries, really. So we see um, huge, huge, um, you know, land masses uh, where crops are grown uh, to get rid of the agricultural residue, those get burned so that we can plant a new uh, crop. And that pollution travels uh, over to Delhi and other parts of uh, northern India and can also, also contribute to air pollution. So it's a mix of sources, some that are very local, some that are very regional. We also have, you know, um, other larger sources like power plants, um, which can contribute to poor air quality over greater um sort of land masses. So when we are thinking of air pollution in Delhi, it's a complex mix of sources, some very local, some, um, you know, more regional, some seasonal, some that are year round. And then the final one that I'll mention that also is getting a lot of attention um, in terms of management is dust. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we have... Um, we don't have very paved cities everywhere. In some sense, you know, um, pavements can bring some benefits also can bring some, you know, other uh, issues with like heating, etc. But because we have a lot of construction going on, new infrastructure that's getting built, um, and not always the best possible mitigation strategies. And in some cases, you know, it's a dry city for most part. Uh, so dust can also contribute to the higher pollution levels. So it's, it's a mix of all of these. And then from time to time, we get uh, much larger, um, you know, from faraway places like 
contributions that can probably last for a week or two. But then when those spikes tend to happen, it could either be because there's something local, it could be because, you know, there's a seasonal contribution from a particular source, it can be because we're getting a large land uh, sort of air mass from another part of the world, which is bringing polluted air. So yeah, a mix of all of those things. I mean, uh, but before I ask you about what is going to be done about um, the, this mix of uh, factors, as you say, what has already been done to try and mitigate um, this air pollution? Uh, has anything been done policy-wise to try and um, clean it up, make it better? Um, and, and has it worked, basically? Or, or is there still a lot to be done um, with other policies? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good question. And I think at least in the context of Delhi, there has been a lot of um, different policies that have been introduced over the years. I, I, you know, I grew up in Delhi, so I've seen some of them sort of take shape in, uh, in front of my eyes. Um, several um I think at this point, at least a couple of decades ago, um, we had a major traffic-related uh, air pollution problem in the city and uh, in the city and also in you know nearby areas. And one thing I'll note um, just before I get into what has been done is that in uh, perhaps in departure from how policies tend to uh, take shape in, in other places, one of the very defining features of air pollution action in India, at least in, uh, you know, in the last few decades has been judicial intervention. So our judiciary in response to public interest litigations, essentially, you know, uh, cases where uh, people have brought in this matter to uh, the courts and demanded that something be done to address air pollution, have um, prescribed, uh, you know, the government to to take action. And one of the really big changes that did happen in Delhi uh, a couple of decades ago now was the switch over from, um, you know, petrol and diesel to CNG or compressed natural gas for all public transportation uh, within the city even the auto rickshaws, which are these smaller, um, you know, three-wheeled um, vehicles that are used mm-hmm. a lot um, uh, within Delhi for people to go from one place to another, they were switched over to uh, CNG. Then I, I think that was, you know, one really big uh, sort of policy shift that happened. Um, since then, we've seen a slew of other measures um, within the city boundaries. For example, we used to have uh, power plants that operated that have now been shut down. They're not in mm-hmm. operation anymore. Uh, we've had more, um, you know, stringent sort of requirements in terms of where um, and how construction dust is managed. Um, we also have in place uh, a response action plan now a graded response action plan that kicks in uh, every winter more or less but also if there are other periods of the year when there's a pollution spike where there's a series of measures that are um, you know expected to be undertaken when the air quality levels start to you know get to um, really really high um, sort of concentrations so that can include things like shutting down construction work for a while so that you can you know manage it it includes things like not allowing allowing um, diesel generators to operate and, and a whole host of, you know, other things. So I think, you know, within the city, these are some of the uh, very specific policy measures that have been introduced. There have also been some changes at the national level. So, for example, I think in, uh, in case of transportation, which I mentioned is one of the sources in Delhi, we've seen a leapfrog from 
Bharat stage four to Bharat stage six. So that's roughly equivalent to Euro four to Euro six vehicles in uh, in Delhi and across mm-hmm. the country now. Um, but, you know, these changes tend to take a little bit of time before you can see the impacts because the fleet turnover is not immediate. Um, and the on the on the other side uh, governments over the year have over the years have also tried to uh, bolster public transportation uh, in more recent years there's been a push for electric vehicles for public transportation in fact yeah. i was in delhi for a few weeks um, you know just uh, in february and i sat in an electric auto rickshaw which is amazing uh, i've always really enjoyed traveling in auto rickshaws in, in delhi so it was great that you know we now have electric auto rickshaws i sat in an electric bus, um, you know, a public uh, sort of bus, which is electric. So I think we're making strides um, in in that direction. There is, of course, still a lot more that could be done. Um, And then at the national level, this is sort of the final, you know, big policy measure that I'll mention. In 2019, the government, um, the national government introduced um, what is called the National Clean Air Program. So this was the first, uh, you know, comprehensive program that addressed air pollution and uh, sort of listed a set of cities that had to uh, tackle air pollution. They had to come up with uh, their clean air action plans, um, you know, decide like which sources they want to tackle, how they're going to do it. And that has been um, transformational in some sense because it has activated um, municipal governments uh, at the city level. It has brought new funding to the cities so that they can start thinking about air pollution as a problem they're going to address and has really expanded the scope of who is thinking about air pollution beyond our you know, pollution control boards, which are sort of equivalent of the, the US uh, Environment Protection Agency or the State Environment Protection Agency, or in, uh, you know, in Europe, what we have is the uh, sort of Environment Bureau or Environment Department. So things are happening, um, but I think, you know, one of the things that I always try to remind myself and, and also others is that this type of work takes a long time. Yeah, you know, London started uh, working on air pollution in the 50s, and there are still pockets where we um, need to make more progress. So we're seeing, we see policy changes come by, um, you know, some of them can start to show immediate results. Some of them take time. Um, And I I think for me, the hopeful thing is that we're continuing to find ways to address it. Um, But of course, uh, you know, as as someone who works on this uh, every day, we could be doing a lot more for sure. Hi, everyone. Sam here again. Just wanted to remind you and maybe your colleagues as well that premium access to the pod and Foresight's brilliant journalism is just a click away. Try a subscription for 30 days for just 29 euros. That gives you access to our website and audio app. Go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. Follow the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show. It's really interesting to, to hear how other cities, how other parts of the world are trying to address this issue. I mean, I'm based in Brussels and there's different measures here about if air pollution spikes to a certain level for a certain amount of time, uh, public transport becomes free, for example, or, or things like that. And a lot of people often say that, that that's great, but there's nothing being done or very little being done to address the, the problem that's causing it in the first place. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see how... Um, I, I don't know, India seems to have this short-term and long-term sort of uh, approach to this, whereas perhaps in other places, the, the long-term 
vision is perhaps lacking a bit. I mean, you said at the beginning about how um, Delhi is um, a case study because you have so much data to, to draw on, to draw these conclusions and to come up with policies and recommendations and things. How hard then is it to get good data from the rest of the country where obviously these problems are as well in a country the size of India? Has, has there been an increase in perhaps like air monitoring stations or something like that? What, what does the trend look like? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's a fantastic question. And, and I think a question that I come back to a lot um, because I try to look at air quality data in, in India and in many other places. And I, I often, um, you know, think back to the years. Uh, again, this is really dating me because it's more than a decade ago when um, <clears throat> if you were trying to look for air quality data in India, you really had to go to the pollution control board offices, you know, look for the right um, places where you could get that. It was not digitized mm -hmm. in most cases. Um, and, you know, the number of monitoring stations was much smaller. They were all uh, what we call manually operated monitoring stations. So essentially someone had to go, um, you know, change the filters every day, come, come back to a lab, weigh them, and then you would know what the particulate matter um, or like PM10 levels were, mm -hmm. for example, in a particular city on, on a day. And uh, that process is obviously, you know, more labor intensive um, and takes time, which is also why the data was not as readily available. But um, since about uh, 2015, I would say in particular, we've seen a very rapid increase in the number of air quality monitoring stations that are being set up across the country. So it's not just Delhi, which is now uh, the focus. And a lot of them are continuous monitoring stations. So you don't really need a person operating them on a daily basis. The data is getting collected. Mm -hmm. It's getting uploaded to the cloud. And you know people can access this information. There's now websites where you can download the data and use the data. Um, and in addition to these monitoring stations that the government operates, there has also been a really big expansion in uh, you know, two other fields. So one is we now have really good ways to use uh, satellite data um, or you know, essentially satellites are constantly trying to capture uh, different data points. So using that to determine what the levels of some of the pollutants are in and around uh, the country, and in fact, in and around the globe, which has been really helpful in understanding what the spatial spread is. You know, if you look at Delhi versus like a neighboring city, or if you look at Delhi versus another city in northeastern India, where we don't have as much data. Mm -hmm. um, so the types of data uh, sets that are available to us is increasing. And then the other place where we've made uh, significant advancements um, is in using lower cost monitors. So these are generally a little bit cheaper, a little bit easier to operate, um, you know, just in terms of cost, the standard, you know, government uh, grade or reference grade monitors that we say uh, typically would cost you around $20,000, ten to $20,000. And the lower cost monitors can go anywhere between $100 to, you know, $5,000. So the scale of pricing is, is very different. Mm -hmm. You can now install a lot more monitors for the same price. And um, across India, we've seen these types of um, sensor networks come up, which are also allowing us to get data for places where we didn't know very much, um, you know, even a few years ago. So I think 
there's still places in the country where we don't have enough information, mm-hmm. uh, especially in rural parts of the country, which haven't um, you know, always been the focus of air quality monitoring activities. Um, but with these different data streams, we know more than we did even five or six years ago. Mm-hmm on what the air quality hotspots are, um, you know, where we need to uh, make improvements and where some of the actions that um, are being taken are, you know, leading to uh, reduction in air pollution levels, which I think is really critical for uh, that continued policy and uh, financial investment, because then you can show that with action, we're actually able to reduce these levels. And if we continue to do that, we will continue to see improvements over time as well. No, it's amazing that it doesn't matter what sector or issue you're talking about. More data is always a good thing. And it seems like this is an issue where that is definitely true. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking about other countries as well. Perhaps the the example that comes to mind is, is Poland, where air quality is really received a lot of attention domestically. Um, I, I remember headlines like, you know, living in cities like Krakow or Warsaw is like smoking a pack of cigarettes even every day because of the, the air quality, um, which has given climate campaigners, for example, a, a way of pushing for more ambition from the government because it's an issue that people obviously care about. If the, if the pollution mm-hmm. comes from energy generation or heat or, or something like this, then they need to do something about that. Um, is something similar like that happening in India yeah. as well? Is this becoming a real social issue that can is could then be used to, to push for um, really action on the root causes of, like you said at the beginning, the, the many, many factors that, that do push down air, air quality? Yeah, I, you know, I think um, you sort of mentioned Poland and there's really a lot of places, uh, I think, right now where we can uh, drop that example of people getting really involved and engaged in demanding um, action on air pollution. India is no different. I think we've mm-hmm. you know, seen very similar, um, very similar engagement from people, um, from very different groups of people across the country, too, because, um, you know, if, if I just talk about Delhi um, to, to keep it a little bit more contained, we've seen mm-hmm. very different um, you know, social classes get involved. Of course, you know, there's always this question about who who has the time to really think about air pollution as an issue when you've got so many other things going on. And um, But what we have seen in Delhi, again, this is, you know, because more, um, more information started becoming um, available to people, more data is becoming available to people. But we've seen parent groups become really vocal about the need to address air pollution. We've seen construction workers, like there have been really excellent, um, you know, uh, campaigns that construction workers, especially women construction workers have been leading, trying to engage their, um, you know, people within their community so that everyone understands what the challenges are, how they get exposed to air pollution, but then also look for solutions and, you know, really demand from the government that things get done to ensure that their exposures are lower and that you know overall they can sort of lead a healthier life we've seen similar engagement from waste pickers in india i mentioned earlier you know waste management is not as streamlined of a process in many indian cities at the moment so we have a huge number of informal Um, workers who participate in the waste management process. They can be recyclers, they can be, you know, people that pick waste and then try to make a living out of what they can, how they can salvage and, you know, reuse um, and recycle that waste. And that community has become very involved. We've had, um, 
very very uh, vocal you know public campaigns um we've had rallies and you know protests um so i think that in general air pollution has gained prominence not just as an issue you know within a very niche sort of environment sector or people that really you know are thinking about it all day but it has permeated into an issue that is now very commonplace um it has also found mention in election manifestos in recent years which i think really tells you that um there's enough public demand and that the politicians are noticing that there is public demand for action on that front and i think for me you know sometimes really small examples can tell you a lot about how how engaged people are on air pollution i've worked in the sector for maybe you know um like 12 13 years now and when i started working on air pollution my parents were not as engaged on you know what like what do you do how does it matter you know what the um what the implications are but um in the last couple of years i hear about new things related to air pollution in india from my parents because they're telling me did you uh-huh. see that this happened or you know this is what the government is now trying to do is it going to help and i think you know i i try to take some credit for it and say well it's because i've kept them informed but i think a lot of it is because um you know their peers and um the news and the you know social conversations are also bringing air pollution to the top and it's not just me <laughs> you know yep. as much as i would like to take credit for it so definitely it's become a very um it's become an issue that a lot of people are talking about all the time but i will mm-hmm. just add a final sort of um you know point on it which is that that's not necessarily true across the country um just because you know we've had more um more opportunities for people to engage more opportunities for people to see and hear data so there's pockets within the country where this type of recognition of air pollution and engagement with air pollution as an issue is uh perhaps a lot more than other parts of the country so there's still you know there's still work for us to do mm-hmm. now it's interesting as soon as you you know bring emotions into the the issue you know when you can see something as clear as air pollution no pun intended um you start to see results and i think even you know people you would not expect it to have been engaged in something or suddenly very interested and and willing to do something about it mm-hmm. um india i believe has you know the government is coming up with its climate strategy for the coming decades what's going to be done i think there was something like 4 billion dollars pledged in in green investments to you know green grids and, mm-hmm. and use renewable power and on all these kind of kind of policies where can that kind of money particularly in india if you look at the the governing structure of the country where would you say that the government should be spending that money to maximize um how to tackle this issue of air pollution is there are there certain key areas where big investments could be made rather than the the smaller you know little tweaks that we've been talking about and which also make a big difference mm-hmm. but these these big investments that could have big results for you know either short term or long term uh, improvements. Yeah, um you know there's there's absolutely places that I think will make a big difference. So when I was talking about the sources of air pollution uh in the context of Delhi, you know one of the sources that is not as big is um the use of solid fuels for cooking. Mm-hmm. um and in some cases for heating so using uh wood or animal dung in some cases coal uh to cook to heat you know heat water etc and that's because a lot of people in delhi now have access to either electricity or um 
LPG, liquefied petroleum gas, um, and that's what is used. But if you look at the national scale across India, energy access is still an issue. Um, you know, so a lot of people are not connected to the grid. They don't have access to electricity. They don't have access to even uh, LPG for cooking, mm-hmm. for example. And what that means is that a lot of people are still relying on solid fuels for cooking. So what a number of studies have shown in recent years is that on the air pollution problem at the national scale, one of the biggest sources, in fact, the biggest source is the use of solid fuels for cooking at homes. Um, You know, that includes portions and pockets of urban areas, but also large sections of our rural India where people do not have, you know, electricity connection. And um, one analysis in particular showed that if we were to address the household air pollution problem, this issue of you know solid fuel use, we would be able to come a lot closer to our national air quality standards that the government of India has set. Mm-hmm. So I think in thinking of the climate investments, and a lot of it is in the sector of uh, you know energy, like you mentioned, renewables. Um, there's a lot of focus on solar uh, and other sources. So. I, I think this is already on the radar of the government. Uh, they've had a couple of really big uh, programs trying to expand access to LPG, for example, um, in rural communities in particular. But the next stage is always, you know, how do we keep how do we keep those people using um, that source, especially if it costs more money than the free wood that you can get from the forest or you know from near your home, and then the other related part of that is um, ensuring that we can hook up as many people to electricity. Mm-hmm. A lot of it can come from, um, you know, uh, small scale renewable, especially solar. There are great examples of that already happening in the country. So I think in thinking of the climate investments, the more we link the issues of uh, ensuring access to cleaner energy sources for people so that they are not relying on solid fuels um, would have a huge impact on what the air pollution levels look like in the future. And the other piece would be, you know, there's there's a huge push also for, um, you know, from the government in livelihood generation and, you know, self sort of self-sustainance within communities and as a country and trying to look at green technology um, and green jobs really as a way to feed into the climate action that happens. And all of that will have implications for air pollution action as well, because at the end of the day, the sources are, you know, a lot of them are very common and very similar. So if we address them, either from the air pollution lens or from the climate and energy lens, we will hopefully see air quality improvements. And and more importantly, as a society, I think we'll see health improvements as well, like better quality of life for people, which is important, I think, um, you know, in the longer term too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When you start thinking about things like solar grids and batteries and access to cheap electricity like this, it really does... Um, beg the question why a lot of these things weren't done uh, a long time ago. But that's, that's a different question for a different day. <laughs> um, if we if we just look maybe slightly more broadly in the region, actually, just, you know, India's neighbors, Pakistan, China, mm-hmm. they've also struggled to, to manage air pollution levels as well in the bigger cities and also across their countries. Mm-hmm. Are there any lessons that India can, be, can learn from those countries about what they have done or what they are doing? Or, or perhaps there are maybe policies that have been done elsewhere that either don't fit or should be avoided for whatever reason uh, to, because it hasn't worked or even made the, the, the problem worse? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think, you know, that's always uh, an interesting question, especially um, sort of thinking about, you know, the uh, the geopolitical sort of um, issues we have uh, in, in the subcontinent and, you know, and at a broader Asian scale too. But I think there's, there's always things that we can learn from. For example, you know, you mentioned China, um, which has been really trying to keep a laser focus on addressing air pollution in the last several years. Starting in about 2013, um, they started, you know, coming up with very concrete policies to address air pollution um, in the country and especially in the Beijing area. And a lot of those policies have worked. You know, we've seen um, air quality levels improve in Beijing and across China over the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so. And that has been phenomenal. But, um, you know, what has gone into it is also a lot of resources, a lot of, uh, you know, people um, and talent, like people just spending time trying to make that happen. And I think that is one thing that we could uh, really learn from and try and see how we can make that happen in the Indian context. Um, how do we get you know more people mobilized in um, addressing air pollution? And that has to be at the city uh, and even more neighborhood scale, state level, national level. And some programs are starting to go in that direction now, but I think a lot more could be done. Um, in that regard, I think in, in thinking of our more immediate neighbors, including Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, one of the things that is, um, you know, often uh, discussed, but perhaps not as much is the fact that across the subcontinent, especially if you look at these four countries, um, we have very common sources of air pollution. And because of how we are geographically situated, we are all contributing to each other's air pollution problem too, because, you know, again, air pollution is not going to stop uh, in India. It's going to go to Pakistan or come uh, to India from Pakistan, go to Nepal, you know, all, all of that. So I think one thing that um, a lot of people are now starting to think about is at, at the subcontinent scale, what can we do to address the regional uh, sources of air pollution so that we're not trying to do this in Pakistan separately, in Nepal separately, Bangladesh separately, India separately, but are there common solutions that can be implemented across countries that would then bring air quality improvements for all people that live in that you know huge belt that obviously the other thing is that our populations are huge, which means these high levels of air pollution, everyone is getting exposed to them. Um, so I think within the subcontinent, there is increasingly a push for regional action uh, on what South Asia can do um, as a block and you know what policy solutions can we implement across and how do we really break that um, barrier of ensuring that these all of these countries keeping aside our political, uh, you know, tensions can work together to address the problem of air pollution. Now, the, the regional issues like that are, I always find really fascinating when you get a shift from, well, why should I do something because my neighbor isn't doing something to, well, I'm going to do something to make sure that my neighbor does something as well. And I think we see that in a lot of places like mm -hmm. in Europe with the Balkans, Croatia, Serbia, um, which also right. has horrendous air quality problems. So I, I, I would hope that they would also have uh, something good to say about it. Um, I always like to end these podcasts with, with sort of a similar question, and it's about whether or not you feel optimistic about the issues that we've been talking about today, whether or not you see enough 
improvements and you know policies being put in place and attitudes changing that the either the immediate future or, or longer term future will be like a positive one for for air pollution not just in delhi and in india as well yeah uh you know a, a really good question and i think i i do have reasons to be optimistic um and i i probably listed a few of them uh you know along in our conversation but in especially in the last decade we've seen a lot more investments being made and perhaps not addressing air pollution directly but trying to tackle the issues that contribute to air pollution you know one of the things that we have often seen is like if you're trying to address air pollution as a you know just a standalone problem it's going to be harder to deal with it but if there are other policies that are coming into place that are then going to have ripple effects on the issue of air pollution that um is helpful so we've we're starting to see that happen um there's also been a huge influx of talent into this uh sector a lot of people really creative really you know um great uh thinkers that are focusing on the issue of air pollution and what needs to happen across um you know across sectors uh, across scales which i think will be very helpful in the next 5 to 7 year period and the government is taking action um you know i i think i'll i'll always say well we need more and this is not enough but i think there have been pol- positive policy developments i think we need to continue to push for more and perhaps um you know raise the ambition on some of them but there is policy movement um again across scales so national state uh, city and uh, are we going to see improvements in the next one year or two years i wouldn't vouch for that just because this type of stuff takes time mm-hmm. um but are we going to see improvements in the next 5 years and 7 years and 10 years i feel pretty positive that we will um you know and i my hope is that we will continue to also take what has now been done for delhi and move it to other cities and um you know smaller towns and villages across the country and um yeah i think i'm i'm hopeful uh, you know cautiously optimistic that if we can if we continue to do what is already happening and then you know perhaps ramp it up uh, we will definitely see cleaner skies uh, in delhi and in other indian um, sort of cities and and towns in the next few years cautiously optimistic is the best kind of optimism i always stand by that because you don't set yourself up for defeat but you also get to be happy as well. Um mm-hmm. Palavi I'd really like to thank you for being the guest today. It's been one of the more fascinating episodes that we've produced because it's really been about a topic I think that's intrinsically linked to the work we do at Foresight on climate and energy but also incredibly important for um society's human health. Um so I'd really like to thank you for for bringing your insights to this conversation and um you know sharing your knowledge and expertise with us today. Thank you so much. I'm really glad we could talk about this. Fantastic. Thank you Palavi. India is such a large country with so many unique challenges, but as we've now learned, many are also shared issues that many other countries are also experiencing, and which could be solved by sharing know-how and collaborating a bit more closely. Before I go, the answer to today's quiz question, I asked you how many Indians did not have access to basic electricity supply according to the latest data from 2019. Was it 393 million, 235 million? 98 million or 29 million. The answer is about 29 million. A huge number, double the population of the Netherlands for example, 
but compared to 475 million just 20 years ago, it's impressive progress. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, one of many that we are hoping to bring you that focus on countries or regions of the world that do not always feature as prominently as they should in a lot of Western-centric coverage. Looking forward to hosting you for the next episode, coming soon to Foresight Climate and Energy.